Blog Talk Radio. sponsored by NASCA, which stands for the National Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. My name is Penelope Bennis. I am from Sarasota, Florida. Uh, my hosting this evening is my uh, NASCA sister, fellow family member, Kim Lakin from Colorado. We wish to welcome you to the show tonight. Uh, we have a very special guest. It is a special guest night. Uh, that is our type of show. He's a returning um, guest and NASA family member. His name is Paul Howard. He's from Studio City, California. A little bit more on Paul and his incredible work in a few minutes. But uh, Kim and I uh, wanted to tell you a little bit more about NASA's mission. So if you would like to get involved with NASA, you can do so tonight by calling in and joining our panel and supporting Paul um, in his work as he shares his work and his story with us, and all you need to do um, to become a member of the panel, no experience is necessary, is to call in to the following number. It's area code 646-595-2118. Again, that's area code 646-595-2118. And Kim, my co-host, will welcome you in on our back line and bring you into the show. And as a panel member, you will have an opportunity to um, interact with Paul and ask him a question regarding his story or his work. So uh, we encourage you to please call in, um, and that's a great way to get involved with NASCA. Uh, So speaking of NASCA, as you know, uh, NASCA is all about child abuse prevention, intervention, and recovery. We have a single purpose at NASCA. It's to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas and neglect, and we do so with only two goals. The first goal, educating the public, as we are this evening, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, abbreviated abbreviated CSA, presenting facts, showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone. The second goal is offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse and information for anyone interested 
and the many issues involving prevention, intervention, recovery. So the number, again, to call in tonight, we encourage you to call in. It's area code 646-595-2118. This is scan number 3166. So uh, on the NAST website, we actually archive all of our shows, which is another way that we uh, develop our shows into a tool that's there to uh, obtain and to utilize um, after the show's over. It's recorded in the archives, and you may listen to it about 30 minutes post-production. Um, it's a great way uh, to uh, be able to uh, capture the information again after the show is over. And uh, we've archived almost, gosh, 3,500 shows. Um, so there's a lot of resources out there. And I'm really excited that we archive these because I myself go back and listen to them. And um, Paul's show was actually no exception. So Paul was on roughly a year ago. Um, and I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him from the bio that he provided us with before I uh, bring him on live. So as I mentioned, our guest is returning NASCA family member Paul Howard. He is from Studio City, California. He's a child abuse survivor who's a filmmaker artist, and activist. He loosely uses his own story in his newest film, entitled Tomorrow. It's an award-winning short film, and it's written and directed by Harris Campbell. It also now includes an epilogue companion piece, Paul's Story, where the two, along with child safety educator Patty Fitzgerald, discuss the film and its themes further. And to quote Paul, we also discuss my experiences as a victim of abuse and my journey into becoming a survivor. Paul discusses how 90% of abusers are someone we know who have not taught stranger danger, leaving them vulnerable, making it more difficult to come forward when it's the coach, the teacher, or someone who sits at the dinner table. Paul himself a brother, and so new pair, a new sentence. Paul himself, a brother, and all of the children were abused violently in a multitude of ways at the daycare from six months old until 12 years of age. He talks of how the daycare was a culture of fear, and he gives an honest and heartfelt reflection of how he thought the abuse was a norm because it was all he had known. He goes on to say, it's important that we understand what a man goes through as a survivor. Absolutely. The first step is to be able to talk about it. Paul courageously brings forth a hard truth. Those we trust and love can be our abusers too. We must teach children to trust that inner feeling that says something just doesn't feel right. As a man who is healing and recovered from his trauma, he wants survivors to understand you too can heal and arrive at a good place in life. The film is wonderfully made, bringing forth so much insight on keeping our kids safe. Telling is healing. It's a quote from Paul, and I couldn't agree more. So uh, without further ado, uh, Paul, Kim, and I wish to just thank you for coming on the show and being here with us tonight. 
Thank you so much for having me again. I'm glad to be back. It's, it's crazy that it's been a year already. <laughs> Time flies. Time flies, right? Time flies. Well, I, I, I saw your film tomorrow. I said, I've seen it twice. I saw it after you came on the show last year. Um, and, you know, for what my opinions were, just not having any, by the way, being a filmmaker, my only, you know, I have a doctorate, I feel like, in, in abuse. Um, my own life experience right. is what I bring able here. But, my gosh, I was so moved, moved by your film. It's a, I felt it was a very striking portrayal of um, something that seems somewhat innocuous. Um, and uh, I watched it twice. I watched it twice. Um, I began to watch Paul's story, and I actually stopped because I kind of wanted to talk to you fresh tonight before watching it. Um, but appreciate you know you sharing uh, your own experience, which I also believe is shown through the film. But um, uh, I know we're going to get to Paul's story. But if you just if you would, I don't know if you want to you know, I guess integrate your own experience of, of you know, we like to sometimes go through chronology of one's life to kind of talk about what happened or if you kind of want to weave that in to talk about the film, I'm just going to really turn it over to you um, at this point, but um, uh, however you want to, you know, disseminate the information to us. Sure. I'm, I'm excited that you have watched the film so that we can kind of talk about it. It's always um, interesting um, to get feedback from people because, you know, the film, we released it about a year ago tomorrow, um, it's directed and um, written by Karis Campbell, who's a very close friend of mine. And actually the way that it kind of came into fruition was Karis attended the hearing for the daycare provider that um, it was just a hearing to remove her license in California. I know it's a little bit different everywhere, but in California, after much time, <laughs> far um, beyond when it should have happened, there was finally a hearing, uh, this was probably in about 2015 now, where it was to determine if she should lose her license, which I'm happy to report that she did. Um, and so Karis attended that hearing where I, uh, two other contemporaries, and then three newer, younger, they were all um, women who testified against Sharon, uh, against the daycare provider. Um, mm -hmm. And we... Karis was at that hearing, and the tomorrow was kind of born from it because, as she would tell the story, seeing this woman in person, she had imagined that she was this, you know, wart-filled witch, you know, evil. You could see it. And when she saw her in person, there was no indication, obviously. And it was very jarring for her to kind of be faced with that in such a literal and I think probably she would say a profound way. So that began the process of this script for her. She wrote it, she shared it with me and asked me um, if I would be involved. And I ultimately executive produced the film. But the thing that I love about Tomorrow and you kind of touch upon is the idea that, so uh, there's multiple things. So one aspect for me that's very important as a filmmaker is how do we create work, whether it's film or otherwise, that educates, inspires, helps to change things without repulsing people? Because so many who are either triggered because of their own per 
personal experiences or have no reference and don't want to hear about it or see it, because let's be honest, child abuse is not something glamorous or something that most people, I think, want to talk about. So I'm always kind of searching for ways of how do we how do we bring it mm-hmm. into the mainstream? How do we talk about it in, you know, healthy and organic ways? Certainly mm-hmm. normalizing, you know, I think we do need to normalize the conversation around these things because education is power. And so tomorrow really does that, in my opinion, because it's beautifully shot. It's beautifully acted. The music, all the cinematography, our whole team was amazing at what they did. And I think it comes off because it's an entertaining piece. You're drawn in, but therein lies also kind of the twist because as you're drawn in, you're then, I think, less prepared for the end that is a twist. And that's something also really important for us to talk about because as Karis experienced in real life, being at the hearing, our perceptions are not, you know, I would like to think, that we've evolved, but I still hear it so often that people think that these child molesters, these child abusers, these, you know, bad people are in the shadows, in the dark, in the, in the bushes, and they are the others, when in fact they are part of us. They are our families, and as, as you said in the intro, you know, they're all of the people that we know, the coaches, the priests, the teachers, and we have to start coming to terms with that, I think, as a society. And so that's part of my mission. Personally, I like to bring that into the fold with my filmmaking and my career also. And I think that um, tomorrow really does that in a, in a really uh, powerful way. You know, I, I couldn't agree more. And I feel like it's just, you know, exactly what you said. Perpetrators of sexual abuse, you know, um, they are these the people that you don't want to believe are the perpetrators of sexual abuse. The the perpetrator in your film is this person who you just don't want to think. You know, is not your the the stereotype that I think people want to see in their mind of a sexual predator. She's right. maternal. You know, she's young. She's the woman that you pass in the mall that, you know, is tending to her child, you know, that's pushing the stroller or, um, you know, the gentle, soft smile on her face in the beginning. Um, yep. The non-threatening. Um, she's, She's the person that I, I feel like, just like you said, sexual abuse is hard enough to even have society want to accept that it happens and talk about. Um, and, and to accept the fact that a person that is like that, that presents that way, perpetrates these types of crimes, I feel like it's almost denial. Like we just don't want to think that, you know, the father who's the coach of the soccer team or the coach of the soccer team, like you said, we just, I think it, it's a form of denial. You know, if it, if it looks good and smells good, it is good. You know what I'm saying? And you really portray Absolutely. that. There's, there's no denying in your film the way it rolls out that she is, in fact, you know, 
um, a sex offender, you know, that she is, you know, conducting this heinous crime towards this young child in her care. Um, she's the one that is so non-assuming. Um, and I, I'm so appreciative of the fact that you have, have done that um, because I think that's why so many of us live in secrecy because we feel that if we speak of who our perpetrator was, no one would ever believe it because of the way that they present right. themselves physically. So this is your show, but and that's, it, it really hit home with me. I'm glad to hear that. And I, I think that's been kind of our experience because we did, we did this film festival circuit initially before it was available online, which it is now. Um, and people who are listening can go to tomorrowthemovie.com and there's lots of information um, on everything that we're talking about and obviously the film itself. But I think the other thing that's really interesting is it is so specifically, while the story, the script is not my story, um, it is inspired by, I guess, the thing that is very important Mm -hmm. to my story, my personal journey, is my abuser was a woman, which we didn't, you know, you talk about these other things. But the other thing that I think is kind of forgotten or lost often is, women can be abusers, women can be violent, women can be the aggressor also. And that's something I think is really challenging, unless you've experienced it, is very challenging for society because we continue to kind of have this sense of the motherly um, kind of role that all women must possess and portray. And, and, you know, two things can be true at the same time, but the idea that a woman couldn't be an aggressor or an abuser is also something that we need to shine light on. So I really mm-hmm. appreciate that tomorrow presents an attractive, you know, beautiful woman who is, a, you know, seems motherly and, you know, has all of the things that we reward and celebrate as a society. And yet is still these other things. And that's, I think the part that's gets, very gray for people because it's hard Mm -hmm. for them to fully, you know, grasp those aspects. So that's one of the things I'm probably most proud of. I mean, there's many things to be proud of with my journey and with tomorrow specifically, but I think is adding a voice as a male that, um, that men, you know, are inevitably victims or survivors from the abuse that they received as children, but that also all aggressors are not, this cliche of a, of a man, you know, some creepy guy hanging out in the bushes. I think that's still kind of a narrative that we all as a society align to. And it's so far removed because often these people have to be charismatic. Often these people are pillars of the community. It's not by chance that all of these stories, I mean, this has been forever, but I think recently we've really seen a lot of stories of people who are, highly regarded in the community. They, they are elected officials or they are, you know, troop leaders or high in the, the Catholic church or other places. These people who, if you ask just an everyday person on the street, they'd be like, they're great. They help with this. They donate at that. They volunteer here. And they, and it's because that's part of the shtick, you know, that's part of the mask that they wear. Because obviously when you step back and think about it, if they were creepy hanging out in the bushes, they'd be discovered really quickly. But so instead, they are, you know, deeply ingrained in our society, and we don't notice them, and they can get away with the things that they do. 
Yeah, I don't know if you were going to say something. Absolutely. Well, no, I always want to say, you know, it's not for me, Ed, in the way it's exactly the way that you're verbalizing it. They are the pillars of our community. You know, they are the, you know, the, those that have, you know, maybe socioeconomically or um, in terms of just their visibility or their position or their roles. Um, and I want to say, okay, someone can be all that and a sexual predator. Does that make sense? And, you know, and like my own, my, own, my own experience, you know, um, my father was, you know, well, regarding the community, he was involved in church. He was um, very successful in his career. Um, he was valued as an uh, advisor, both professionally and personally, and he was abusive, and he was, you know, and. They can be all of those things, not just one or the other. I want to say and. They can still have right. all of their titles, all of, you know, what defines them, and they are this. I don't know if that makes any sense, but because to me it was it was almost like so if they are this they cannot be that and to me it's like no and that yeah I think it's the I I try to reference it as it's the two things can be true at the same time I think we struggle mm-hmm. I'm now generalizing but we struggle as a society at kind of encompassing that like you can be rich and poor, you know, because you can be rich financially and poor in your soul or in, you know, your kindness yeah. or, and so multiple things can be true at the same time. And yeah. we should, we're doing ourselves a disservice. I think as humans, as a society, as survivors, as whatever, we're doing ourselves a disservice if we're acting like everyone conforms and falls into one column because I've met survivors who are very different than I am. I've met survivors who have similarities to me, and I've, had, I've met survivors who are completely different in the same way that I would say that as a filmmaker or any other, as a male or whatever else that you can define me as. So the idea that we can only be one thing or, and this is, I think, has roots in some archaic kind of belief systems that we have, that evil, quote-unquote, or badness, quote-unquote, exists only in certain types of people, and it's all-encompassing, mm-hmm. like it rots you. I don't think that's true either. We know good people do bad things. We know bad people do good things. Obviously, abuse is a much more complicated – I'm not, you know, I'm not simplifying that, but the idea that, oh, well, I, I couldn't be an abuser because I'm, you know, a community leader we got to let those things go because the idea, or I'm a mother. I couldn't be an abuser because I'm a mother. That we got to let those things go as a society because we now know, I think, you know, that's not really a negotiable at this point, that it transcends all types of humanity, all countries. This is not an American problem. This is not a male problem. This is, this is a problem that exists across the board and it covers all religions. It covers all types of people and so maybe the first step for us is to just accept that it's not going to always neatly fit into a narrative of, well, that guy looked like a bad guy. And so, you know, clearly he's doing bad things. Like, I think, you know, it's, that's not how it's going to work out. Um, and if art and these conversations, it's why I'm happy to be back and, and chatting with you again and for whoever's listening, if these conversations inspire change one mind 
to me, that's, that's the thing. Like, I, my most recent project is a feature documentary that does not deal with um, child abuse. It's much more feel-good in case anybody needs a little relief from all that's in the world, but it's called A Pebble in the Pond. And it's a feature documentary about a nonprofit founded by a woman and largely run by women for over 125 years. It's great, amazing story. But the reason I raise it, besides telling everybody about it, is that one of the things that I love about it is it illustrates creating ripples and that you, Penelope, one person can create a ripple or that I can create a ripple and set into motion change that we may never even see or inspire somebody or touch somebody in a way that could affect in a week, a month, a year, a decade. And that's, that's something I think I really strive for and I try to encourage others to strive for. Sometimes you just have to be comfortable with using your voice in whatever capacity that is in whatever way and leading by example, again, in whatever way that is for you but you have to trust that those ripples are being created and people are watching, people are listening, people are seeing, and hopefully they're being inspired and you're giving them kind of a place to step into or making it feel less scary or something that is, I think, so important. And I have to remind myself of this because my journey has been so long, um, less afraid. You know, I, I forget because it was an eternity. It was a lifetime ago in my mind not only the abuse, but the process of dealing with it, of reporting, of then having this hearing. Like, that's so long ago. And I, I have to remind myself, for somebody just starting out on the journey, it can be terrifying, obviously. And so if I can be a voice of optimism, of hope, of pragmatism, because I'm also very pragmatic, but if I can be that voice for people or a reminder that you're not alone, then that's, that's got to be enough also. Well, I, you obviously have accomplished that and so much more. And I love the fact that also, Paul, that anyone can just see your, your movie. It's not that anybody has to pay for it for everyone to see. It, so I Yeah, we really wanted really- that. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. We really wanted that to oh, no. be something. You, you know, we always wanted to do a film festival, which we did, but Karis and I talked a lot about it, and it was very important to us that it become a tool, that it exists just in the ethers forever. And the thing that I love and that we're kind of illustrating in this moment is I was on the show a year ago, and here I am back. But the great thing about it is the film remains the film's message and its importance remains. And so I can come back on the show if you'll have me every year, you know, to talk about this film or whatever. But the idea is that it, it's evergreen. It always will exist. And that's also why we really were thoughtful about the website we created and the epilogue, which I'm, mm-hmm. I'm also interested in talking to you about because I think, again, you have more experience in having these conversations with different survivors and advocates and activists. And I just, it was really important for us to present the film, which is a cinematic, you know, entertaining or meant to challenge or 
um, provoke people, but it's, it's art, in my opinion. I mean, I think the film is art mm-hmm. in the truest sense a film mm-hmm. can be. It's, it's art. But we wanted to create something that was more of a tool and a conversation for after because one of the things that we didn't have at the film festivals, obviously, is they just saw the film and they couldn't watch it again, like you talked about. Like, you couldn't go and watch it again after you learn kind of the twist. And there was no discussion. There was no, like, unless we were there at the film festival and they had a Q&A, there was no real discussion or kind of, like, way yeah. to give people an outlet. So creating the epilogue was really important for us so that we could give people a bit of insight, sure, into, you know, the reasoning and the why and my story, but also to give them a bit of, I would hope, some hope and some um, inspiration and, you know, not just to kind of feel like, holy, you know, it's it's pretty heavy when yeah. it ends. You can It can be very like a ton of bricks dumped on you, you know? And so we wanted to kind of open up and, um, and give a little inspiration at the end. I think that was a very good idea um, because yes. And those of you that see the movie will understand what what Paul is saying about that. um, um, Because we don't see a resolution. We just see the, the scenario, if you will. um, And we come to learn um, what the truth is um, for this little boy. So I know Kim is sitting there on saying, okay, I have things to say, and Penelope and Paul are just having conversation. I apologize. Sorry, Kim. But I did want – no, I'm sorry. So, Kim, no, I did want to invite you into the conversation and um, with Paul, so I'm going to shut my pie hole right now and just and uh, welcome you and Kim. Thank you for your patience. Uh, thanks, Penelope. No, not at all, you guys. I've been enjoying listening to your conversation. And, um, yeah, I also – Remember you, Paul, I think maybe Penelope and I were both your hosts last year as well. And so um, I remember the year, yeah, I remember your film, and I did just kind of go back and review a little bit too. So I was doing a little bit of that too. So I, um, yeah, and so I do very much remember it, and it's powerful. I mean, that's the way that you need to get to people is by doing these powerful little Tidbits and video, you know, and online is what is in. So, you know, that's probably how you reach more people, more so than even writing a book these days. It's all on there. So, and it's it's really powerful. Thank yeah, especially. That. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, I'm I'm actually very interested to hear from both of you in that sense because you know, this is my world, and so I always am like film and let's make stuff that are, is visual. But I also feel like as an activist and a survivor, I also think we have to think a bit more savvy. So much, you know, without sounding judgy, so much stuff that's out there about this subject matter or on this subject matter is just horrible to handle. It's so um, just – it's just not – going to bring people into the fold. It's not going to, like, get people to become advocates or even understand because they're going to turn away. And the example I use, and there's different schools of thoughts on this, but, again, I open this as kind of a conversation piece. You know, for an animal activist, some believe, like, show all the gory videos that, you know, are just horrendous. And that's, for me personally, that doesn't work because I turn away. I can't 
process that. I don't want to see it. It's too much for me. And so I feel like maybe that's necessary. I'll say that as a caveat. Like maybe that's necessary as one part of the battle. But for me and what I would do as a filmmaker is I want to create more things like Tomorrow that are what I would call digestible or able to be kind of like tolerated because ultimately, and again, I want to hear what you guys think, isn't the goal to bring people into the fold, to like give people a platform, whether they're survivors to talk about and accept, or if they are not and don't have any reference to be able to feel safe and comfortable and asking questions or becoming an ally. What do you guys think about that? Kim, do you want to do you want to answer that first? Uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. I think um, it's just a hard subject for a lot of people to deal with. And I, and like you said, I think that it's it's not a bad thing that people want to turn away because you're getting through to them. I mean, and I kind of say the same thing. You kind of want to be a little bit shocked. You want people to be shocked so that we can start making a change. And um, I don't know if you remember or not, but I do Darkness to Light Stories of Children, which is um, a sexual abuse prevention program for adults. It's a two-hour class that I do. And, um, you know, they try and do the same thing. They take these snippets of um, people's testimony and, you know, put it into this powerful educational video that just, you know, kind of stops you in your steps. Oh, my gosh, I didn't realize that impact. And so that's what I love about your your film, too, is that it really does give you that, gosh. (laughs) You know, and as survivors, we know how to kind of how to, to, or we try to, I guess, not always. We're not always good at um, kind of placing those emotions. But, but no, I think it's, it's very important for people. To have that. Uh, does that make sense? Did I just kind of talk in circles a little bit? <laughs> no, no. I, I, I got no, you. I, it, it was great. I, mean, I, I think it's great. I mean, Paul, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think anytime you tell a story, uh, like the story that you tell um, in Tomorrow, you do build that platform because there are people out there that are on different parts of their healing journey, but can resonate with something. There will there'll be something there that will resonate with them or that will uh, maybe not even resonate, but they will discover um, about their own experience. And maybe it will give them a different perspective, right, and place them at a different point on their journey. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that in a second. But, the platform is to know that also that you're not alone, that there's somewhere else, someone right. else out there that understands that had, you know, the experience might be slightly different, but a lot of times the feelings are the same. Um, and there's a lot of different parts of, of the journey where the experience are different, but the feelings are the same. Um, and so I think just to know that you're not alone and by putting your, the story out there, um, someone can, it, there will be something that resonates. So, for example, um, you had said later on in the bio that I read 
that it's, you know you were six and in your I know this is not tomorrow's not your story but there's some there's some parallels that you went to daycare at six months old and sexual abuse began until you were twelve and you know the way you know I can relate to that so when you are kind of born into that or you know six months old that's a baby you know when that type right. of experience is basically at your own inception. That is what you believe is normal. And you go through this life, you know, thinking that that is what normal is. And so when someone tells their story, like you tell this story in tomorrow, um, and you realize that having that kind of touch is not normal, when it's, 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 it's the perspective is, is a little shifted, um, when I say someone all on a different point of their healing journey, you know, they may realize at that moment when they watch a movie, what they thought is normal is actually not normal. But they actually, you know, maybe they have adult manifestations or manifestations of, of abuse, and they're trying to figure out, you know, at least for me, what the heck is going on with me? You know, why do I have these triggers? You know, why, you know, it answers a lot of questions, Dan, that you were abused. You know, if you're not, if that was your normal, you know, part of that is that you evolve into that by just, you know, the more you can separate yourself and learn more about the experience. It's, I hope that makes sense because that's what you do with the film is, um, you know, it, everything looks normal until it's, you know, in the beginning until it's not. And what you had said about your own experience, you know, it's what you thought was normal. I didn't realize until I was 48 years old that, you know, that, you know a two-and-a-half, three-year-old having her father put his hands on her pants was not normal. I didn't even know that until I was, I mean, that was, I I thought all fathers did that to their little girls. So, um, yeah, and you also really, you bring up, go on, I'm sorry. Sorry, um, there's like a slight delay. I keep like talking over you. Uh, There is, I'm sorry, there is. I think also that's, that's the thing that's really, I think that's another important part about the work that, we all are doing across the board is understanding that aspect because, I mean, to take it to kind of a macro level, I think it's profound. What you just said, it's profound. Like the story I've told numerous times about like being in seventh grade and having just been removed from the environment for like mm, six months or so and thinking like seeing an infant crying in a in a restaurant and thinking that the parents should hit it to shut it up like that was normal for me so Mm -hmm. i i how could i know differently and i think that's another thing that we're not really even talking about as a society we're barely talking about the other stuff but that we're not talking about because how do we expect if a child has been in this environment let's say if it's at home as an example of you and let's say you don't move out to 19 or 20 why would why would you at 19 or 20 magically know like how to deal with children or how to deal or be appropriate in certain situations? I think there's a very um, unfair kind of belief system in our society that's like, well, you should know better. You're an adult. But in any situation, if you were raised in a cult, whatever that cult was, why would you think differently if that's all that you saw, all that you were taught, all that you know? And so we also, I think, have to kind of have a reckoning and acceptance around that idea that 
a child could be a child at 25. You know, if they've been kept out of the loop of a lot of things, then, you know, the, the years on the planet doesn't equal maturity, doesn't equal understanding or knowledge. It is what have they done? Have they gone to school? Have they been in therapy? Have they been educated? Or how will they know any different? And I think that's another, I don't have, you know, answers. I just bring it up as something to, A, just talk about it, but also, you know, we become more normal about talking about that aspect, that a child in an environment like you or I, where that abuse is for the developing years of your life and is a large period of time, because I obviously that's not everyone's experience, but and while all abuse is horrific, it's, it's a different beast that you're dealing with if somebody has been raised by their abuser, for example. And so we have to understand the nuances that all survivors, all victims aren't the same. Just because person A was abused doesn't mean it's going to be the same as person B. You know, we all have different experiences. And, um, and I also think that children process information differently based on who they are as children. So some children, I do truly believe that whatever the, the thing that happens to them, some of them it rolls off their back or it doesn't really permeate. Um, and that doesn't, you know, make it any better. That's just saying that some children don't have it. And then there are children that I think are super um, deductive or, or wise or very attuned to, as I think, children possess is a natural thing. They're always watching and learning and mimicking and absorbing. So I think probably the default is most children kind of fall into that category. But, you know, a child that's sensitive versus a child that's less sensitive because we're all different, you know, it's going to affect or permeate in different ways. And so that also is a whole other thing. And then the ones that we're taught, like men often are, to not have emotion or that you're weak or God forbid the stuff I hear about like where like a teenager in high school or whatever is, you know, from a, a female teacher, it's kind of like, Oh, good for you, boy. And it's like, what the, I mean, our society has a lot of things that we have to kind of come to terms with. And, and some of that, again, is ironically what we were just talking about a few minutes ago is the nuance this is the gray. It's not going to be the same and we have to just kind of open the door to these conversations because I truly believe that part of it is just the conversation. Um, I, I grant that, you know, maybe others would listen in right now and go, well, you're not really doing anything, Paul. But I don't, I believe that having these conversations are important. Um, and as you said, for people, if nothing else, for people to not feel alone or for people to go, oh, I never thought about that in that way. I think that's what we do is we, we have these conversations and we stimulate, inspire, encourage, change one another through those conversations. Well, I think that there is a very overt um, and profound conversation that you bring in that film and one that I really appreciate. And that is there the different forms, what defines child sexual abuse? And molestation, and and your film defines an aspect of sexual abuse. Inappropriate touch in the in the manner in which it was shown in the film. You know, 
that is, uh, I think that is very overt in the film. Um, and I think it, he, it, that is, uh, to me, watching it for me. And I'm just, a, you know, if you're doing a study, I'm a, you know, number of one for what it's worth. But when I watched it, I thought, my gosh, you know, this is a, a very profound way of describing uh, one of the forms of child sexual abuse. To me, it really, um, it really espouses um, uh, and brings up the conversation of defines child sexual abuse. You know, there are because it is a very, there are a lot of different, um, there are a lot of different ways that children are sexually abused, and it's right. there's many different, many many different ways. And I feel like your film is very provocative in bringing up that subject. I I appreciate that. And I think um, that that is the way Karis and I would talk about it and, and discussing while she was writing the script and then also just kind of getting into production on it is this idea that, and this came out at the hearing also that I referenced at the very beginning of all this, where... An, a survivor many times, and I'll, I'll speak for myself, as a survivor, something that was very complicated at the beginning of the journey for me is this duality of feeling like you love your abuser. Obviously, in cases like yours with your father, it's super complicated and super, mm-hmm. so, I mean, that's already a huge, my situation being a daycare provider who I loved, quote unquote, you know, that, that in itself was complicated enough. I cannot imagine like the family dynamic of that. But for me, that's what complicated it even more because, and I've been very upfront about this and I will always say this because I want the world to hear this. It wasn't all bad. It wasn't all doom and gloom. It was not nonstop torture. It was, Mm -hmm good things that I looked forward to. It was shiny moments and happy moments. And, you know, she, she did lots of things that a child loves, you know, so there was that duality and therein lies the insidious, deeply problematic and traumatic aspects of abuse because a child doesn't have the tools to process those things. Adults, and I say this, myself barely have them because you know it's a huge journey to kind of put things down and let them go and so we always wanted there to be an aspect of the film where the audience would watch and believe certain truths whether you believe oh it's the mother whether you believe you believe certain truths as you watch and then when the reveal happens there would be this sense of conflict in the viewer. Like what, why did I let certain things slide? Why were certain things acceptable under that narrative? And now they're not, we wanted it to be super convoluted and insidious because that is the nature of abuse. It is not black and white. It is immensely gray and all hues of it. And as I, I referenced, the story is very different for each person. And so each person dealing with is going to process differently. And that love is a huge obstacle, I think. And I, I, I say this too for anyone who could be listening who's early in their journey or is still struggling with that. You know, it's, 
it's a process. It took me many, many, many years to be able to say, no, I did not and do not love my abuser. It was a complicated situation. And as a child that I was put into, I felt things that are, were not true or fair because of the imbalance of power and a whole plethora of other things. So I love that you bring that point up. And it, it was very thoughtfully done because, you know, my experience colors it, of course, but also it's an important part of the aspect of like what Karis went through experiencing this kind of duality of believing that she would have been able to identify a bad person, an abuser, and then when she was faced with it kind of in, in the flesh, in person, it was like, oh, wow. You know, like I, I wouldn't have necessarily known. This isn't the person I would have picked from the lineup. And I think that, again, is the larger conversation about it, it doesn't fall into these kind of conventions or these cliches that we think they fall into. And so, um, yeah, I'm glad that that's something that resonates with you. And I'm glad it's also a conversation. I mean, I'm glad we're talking about it today, as I have said, and I will continue to say, like, part of it, why we made the film was to talk about it, was to have people talk about it and their feelings and their thoughts and their opinions, because your opinion is just as valid as anyone else's, because, you know, it's your perception and what you felt and what you thought watching it. And that's, that's cool. I mean, that's, that's how things, how we learn, how we evolve, how we grow is by having these conversations. You know, I'm not as, I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, I'm not as familiar with, um, and I know Kim does a lot of work with darkness to life and with, with children um, in different, in different settings. But, you know, part of me is as, as, as you're talking about the film and as I'm rethinking the film, as I watched it, and as I was a mother, too, you know, I worked full-time. Full my three little boys were in, in daycare. And, I'm, you know, from my thought processes, you know, what you also discussed about there were some tender moments. There were some tender moments in the film. And, you know, there is this um, maybe um, crossover, too, because that's also part of the grooming process is the tender moments, right, the trust that's yeah. built, right, and yep. and for me, where I'm going with this is in a daycare setting, you know, there's a um, grooming process for the children, but I think it's also a grooming process for the parents because, you know, oh. I think it, you know, we know that that perpetrators are very manipulative and calculating, and so that's a lot of work to be I, grooming two sets of individuals. Totally, totally agree, and I'm glad you brought this up because I can also anecdotally share. So one of the men, he's a, he's a man now, but was a boy, obviously, of a contemporary of mine, um, who testified against our abuser. He, on the stand, the, the defense's lawyer asked him, which I thought was a totally inappropriate co- uh, question, but he asked if he still loved her, and it was – so unnerving, awkward, frustrating, dynamic, strange, like to watch him in real time struggle to answer that question. This full-grown man with a beard and kids of his own at this point couldn't, couldn't easily answer the question. And I thought therein lies exactly what you're talking about because the grooming 
isn't just in the children, but is in, and most importantly, I think, it's less than the children, to be honest. In my case, it was more about our parents being tricked or um, kind of groomed because, again, she was a community leader. She was a pillar of the community kind of thing. And she did all these great things that were all selfless and awesome, and the kids loved her And because, you know, the kids were terrified and couldn't dare speak out against her. And so the parents were tricked. And the proof, if anyone listening doesn't believe me, is while we were doing this hearing, that man who was on the stand, who was one of the kids that was abused, his parents wrote a letter in support of this woman, saying that they thought oh. she was the greatest. And she was – so their own child oh. is testifying against her, having been mm-hmm. the child that suffered the abuse and fought. And the parents – and I don't say this as a negative to them, but were so bamboozled and tricked and manipulated – by this woman that all these years later, they wrote essentially a letter of recommendation for her in this hearing. And I just thought, wow. You know what I mean? If, if anyone needs a clear example, I feel like that so beautifully articulates what, how complex it is, but as you say, how the grooming occurs beyond the children. The grooming occurs in the society and the parents because, again, this idea that they have to be creepy people in the bushes, they wouldn't get away with the things they do if they were the creepy person in the bush. We really should just kind of let that narrative go because while I'm sure there's an example or two, the majority of the examples out there are not going to be the thing that is um, so obvious because if it was so obvious, it would be discovered. And so instead it goes underground and it is super charming and um, manipulative and friendly and kind and all these things that you don't understand because that to survive, to continue to do the things that you're doing, this went on for decades. She ran a state-sanctioned daycare for decades, hundreds of children, and it took so much to just stop her from having a license to be – a state-sanctioned daycare. That was it. There was nothing criminal. There's nothing civil. It was that was it. And again, I think that's the maybe the dark side of what I share with people. It's just like it's a it's an uphill battle. I mean, it's still a really uphill climb for people and for us as a society. And we've got to get better. And so we have to keep having these conversations and being honest about it. Like the parents who have children that were abused, you know, you have to become advocates also and speak up and talk about that you were tricked and that that's part of this process for all of us because we can all learn from one another. And hopefully my goal is to prevent it from happening to others or to at least curb some of it if I'm using my life, my struggles, my pain, my experience as examples for people out there. I hope that that will save someone else because it's, it's a very insidious. I, I really like that word for it because there's not a better word. I think it's super insidious. Oh. It is under the surface and it is, it, it, it only survives that way. That's also the analogy of darkness. You know, this doesn't survive in the light. If we pull all of this out into the light and we start talking about it and being open about our fears 
our experiences, our mistakes, then and only then can we eradicate it. But we have to be willing to drag it into the light, and that's terrifying for people. I understand that. And so as much as I can, I will stand in the light and try to help people, like, see that there's no better way because to end up, or to, you know, end this little bit on a, like, up note, you know, I'm a very happy individual ultimately like I still discover things I've certainly you know it doesn't magically go away nothing like that it's not some medicine you take and it's you're fixed but I am a functioning idealistic optimistic active person and I couldn't have been had I not done all of the falls and mistakes and pain and suffering and uncomfortable and ugly and things that you go through in therapy or whatever avenues you take, if I would not done all those things, I wouldn't be here now talking to all of you. And so I try to remind people it's a, it's a journey. It's a, it's a journey and it will str- you will struggle and you will have moments of like, I can't do this. And that's okay too. I have those moments also, but it's worth it in the end. And, um, yeah, and I actually have a fun anecdotal story, but I, I've been monologuing for a lot, so I want to give, give a pause for you or anyone else to jump in um, before I tell like oh, I have no. a, a looking up story. Well, Kim, are you are you okay? I'd like to if he, if uh, Paul tells his up story, and then I'll I'll break for you. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, if you don't yeah. mind, before you, you know, of course, while it's on the time. So, um, like I said, the hearing happened in 2015, so like seven, eight years ago now, which is crazy also for me. Um, but I, at the time, I posted on social media, I did like on Reddit and Facebook and, you know, everywhere. I just posted kind of um, the same post, but basically shared the the name and the it was Sacramento and the daycare and just kind of like told in a paragraph kind of my story and said if because I always have believed that there were obviously others than the six that testified against her because you know there were everybody who was there when I was there for the, the 12 13 years that I was there was abused so every child who came in or out was abused. So I knew that there was more than six um, victims. And so I've always been adamant about presenting that and like having a place to kind of land if anyone went searching. And so in 2015, I posted something on Reddit. And this Easter, so a couple weeks ago, I was contacted by email um, by a gentleman whose name is Devin who attended the daycare after me. Um, and so I wasn't there. We never had any interaction. He's probably like 10 years after me or so. And he also was abused. And so he had, his mom actually had first done like a search, putting this person's name in and searching Google to kind of like see what would come up. And my Reddit post was one of the things that came up including also an article um, about the hearing came up and I I'm also in that. And so she gave the information to her son and he emailed me, he found me and emailed me and we've now been chatting. And I got to say, it's such a, 
such a liberating positive story because obviously not to you know his he's at the beginning i would say of his journey um but he had somebody who believed him right out the gate because i very literally experienced the things that he mm-hmm. talks about because i was there our, our abuser is the same and so it was such a full circle moment for me and i share it for whatever it's worth to anyone listening it's very personal but i share it because I, I do believe in kind of sharing our truth. It was such a full circle moment for me very personally, because I had a sense back in 2015 and before it doing this hearing and posting my truth and being public about it, that it could someday help somebody. And I have seen that very literally because this guy has reached out to me and for whatever small way that is, but he didn't have to be alone. And he's also believed. And I think that's something that we underestimate. And so I'm so proud of him, but also so proud to be able to be somebody who is there and able to believe and hear him in those first kind of steps forward. And I'm excited to see what he does on his own and how he grows and evolves in whatever ways are, you know, appropriate for him. But I share that story as a way to encourage anyone who's listening to remember that your story, I mean, we made a film out of ours and, you know, that's because of my skill set and what I do, but just sharing your story, speaking truth, telling a friend, you don't have to go onto a podcast, you don't have to go onto a radio show, you don't have to do a, a Facebook post either, but sharing that story, you never know again how those ripples permeate and how you can inspire or change people's lives. And if you feel comfortable being public, if you can post something on Facebook or be involved in this show or others, do that. I mean, that's awesome if you can do it. But the fact of the matter is, is that we need people to speak their truths. We need people to be vocal because you're helping the next person and the next person after them. And only if we start to kind of raise an army of activists and survivors and people who understand the signs and understand the nuance and understand what goes into and the insidious nature of it, only then can we truly, as you said at the very beginning, that it is a pandemic? Only then can we really stop it. And I feel um, really profoundly grateful to have experienced this, to have had somebody feel safe enough to reach out to me. And and as I said, there's a sense of pride too because I I wanted to leave kind of breadcrumbs. I, I described it as breadcrumbs for those who would find it and feel like they needed to be kind of let out of the forest. So um, I share that as a very positive story and an example of how each one of us can impact each other's lives just by speaking our truth. Wow. I'm, I'm just, um, it's very rare. Thank you for that. It was so beautiful. <laughs> I just really, I so appreciate you sharing that. I, you, at the beginning of the show, you said, you know, I did this film. If I can just reach one person, and you did, and you did. Right. And you're right. I, but I agree with you that it, it's beyond, you know, it's beyond breadcrumbs. I think there are little seeds that, that do germinate. And I, I, I love that your message that it doesn't need to, 
you have the skill and the talent and the gift of being of, of producing beautiful work. Um, but if you don't, if you're someone out there, that the small it can be the smallest thing. The smallest thing can make a huge impact. So don't feel held back. It can be something so small. Telling someone else one other person. It can be something small. It doesn't have to be a grand, grand gesture. And I think I love what you said, Paul, and it resonated with me, and then I'm going to turn it over to Kim. But one of the things about doing the work, um, about going through the journey and the process of recovery, um, and I believe I heard this in your words, is, is that you realize that while these things happen to you, the cause is something so much bigger than yourself. And it's an opportunity to become a part of something so much bigger than yourself, such important, important work. Um, and uh, I love the way that you shared that story because to me that really did resonate. That's the hope. Um, and honestly, if, this, if I had not had my own experience in life, I don't know if I would have been a part of this work. And it's been, I believe it's the greatest work I'll ever do um, in my life is to be a part of, of the activism um, because it's so desperately needed. There are, are so many people out there. Um, one in three boys, one in, excuse me, one in three girls, one in five boys before the age of 18 will be sexually abused. These statistics are, are solid. I believe they're severely underreported. So there are so many people out there. So I really, I right. thank you so much for sharing that. And, and Kim, I just, I, I wanted to see if you had, I'm sorry, it's taken a while to get back to you. Um, any co- questions or comments or any, anything to add from what uh, we've been talking about? So my apologies for not being to you sooner. Oh, no, not at all. Hope Penelope, don't worry about it. I think it's been a great conversation and I think it's been a great show. Well, thank you both for, for your interaction that you've been doing there. <laughs> um, I think that one of the things that I was thinking of earlier when you were talking, Paul, about, you know, people, it just continuing and, and how it continued on for years and years. And, and I know that even possibly in your situation, but more so in situations that are, um, you know, have the abuser in their family, like their dad, like Penelope and myself, it was our dad. Um, a lot of times it's generational. And I like to talk about that in my classes because a lot of times people don't understand the generational word. And, you know, they think, oh, it's got to be, you know, like the same person who just kept doing it for generations. And um, and it, that's not necessarily what it means when you, you talk about generational trauma. You know, in my case, my mom had this mindset because she had been abused and her mom had been abused that it was just going to happen, you know. I, I guess at some point when she had me or, you know, during my life, she realized or thought, you know, she'll just be sexually abused and there's nothing I could do about it. Where I changed that narrative. I was like, no, 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 no. My daughter is not going to, if I can help it, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to help it. I'm not just going to sit back and say, Oh, it happens, and, you know, choose the side of the abuser, which is what my mom did. So that's why I'm so passionate about this work as well is because, you know, there's so many different nuances and, 
you know, examples that we can talk about. And like he said, they're all just, they're all so different. And so it's good to help people understand that, you know, like you said, it's not just cut and dry. It's not that, you know, that stranger on the corner or the ice cream man, which actually we had a scare when I, I was raising my kids in our neighborhood with an ice cream man. So it can happen, of course, you know, like I said, but, um, but yeah, whole, that whole, I think it being generational could also play into, and I'm not saying it was with your parents at all, but, you know, for instance, somebody starts taking a child to daycare and there are these signs that there could possibly be abuse going on, but because your brain hasn't been healed from your abuse, you're going to just kind of push that away instead of dealing with it, I think. And so Absolutely. And I, I think the, the thing about generational, I think that's um, a huge aspect to all of this also. And I use the example of um, the gentleman who was asked if he loved her still as a little anecdotal part about his story, him and his wife, I think, had have two kids, and he refused to let anyone watch his children but him or his wife, not even his parents, not her parents, because of what occurred to him in a daycare setting. So the other thing that's generational is I, it's not always just the cycle of abuse continues, like in a very literal sense. I think that's what people think of when they think of cycles of abuse. It's very literal. It's like, oh, that person, that kid was abused, and now however they were abused is how they abused their kids. That can certainly be an aspect, but there is also the profound impacts that happen in all sorts of ways in that this guy can't leave his children alone with anybody else because his trust was so deteriorated because of the situation that he went through. That's not healthy either. You know what I mean? Like it's such a complicated, convoluted kind of situation. Yeah. And I think one of the ways I say it is it's the culture of fear, you know, th that we were all willing participants and I, you know, willing, but as children, we were all willing. Like We all just, like signed up for this culture of fear because the reasons didn't matter as much, although obviously it's fear and, you know, you can't always tangibly talk about it as a kid. Obviously you don't have a deeper understanding. You just know that there's danger to you, to your loved ones, to whatever, if you betray the trust. And so you create this culture of fear and that can also continue as you referenced Kim, like in, in adult life where people don't even fully understand the choices they make because they're just a willing participant in this, in this culture of fear, continuing it. And that's why I'm such an advocate for, yes, therapy. I mean, I'm a huge advocate for, like, get help. Like, I, I, you got to talk to people. you got to have professionals. I am not one. You know, you have to talk to, like, psychiatrists, therapists, like, real help. But if that's too daunting for you initially, which is understandable, then you've got to share, you've got to disclose, you've got to talk to a good friend or a good family member that you trust. Because I truly believe that a child who was abused cannot heal alone because they were not abused alone. You know, there was, there was influences that changed each of us 
forever and a mutation, I refer to it as, because you can't go back. There's no fixing it, quote unquote, or, or going back. You're forever changed. That does not mean you're broken. That does not mean you can't be a huge impact and a positive person and all those great things that our society celebrates, but you have been forever changed and you can't do it alone. And I think that's the other thing that we have to be honest about and have conversations with is it's okay. You, you, you can't fix these things on your own. You can't even fully understand them on your own. The work that I have done has blown my mind more times than I even care to say, you know, you, you come across some kind of thing or a trigger, or you discover something new, and I'm like, what? You know, like, how is this, how am I learning something still? How am I being blown away by something that I do or thought or believed? Because it's a process. And you couldn't know everything that you needed to know at the end of your journey at the beginning. And so, again, I'm such an advocate for you have to start the process and and I think the generational conversation is a huge aspect that we also need to talk about because it itself, I think, is nuanced and multi-layered. And I think people kind of have what they think it means in their head. And then again, once again, it becomes that one size fits all. And that's not the, that's not the reality. Um, it is, it is nuanced, it is insidious, it is multifaceted, it is complicated. And the more we can talk about that, the more we can use each other by talking about our stories and learning from one another, the better that we'll be. And that, again, is why I'm such an advocate for doing what we're all doing right now. And hopefully people are listening or will listen to the recording and also find their voice because I'm – huge advocate for the more the merrier, the, the more people who are willing to be honest and discuss whatever aspects, um, we're going to be better off for them. Um, couldn't agree more. Absolutely couldn't agree more. Hey, Kim, is that Philip that just called in? Do we, have, we have another caller that just called in. I think it is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hey, I'll invite him one on. of our regular. Okay. Yeah, I'll invite him in. Hi, Phyllis. Hi. It's Penelope and Kim. You're on with um, Paul Howard. Did you have a question or comment for Paul? Hi, this is a regular girl. Um, the comment that I would like oh, to I'm make sorry. is I'd like to, I'd like to put in a plug for mental health advocacy as well. I think that we just. So I'm in my late sixties. So I think to myself, you know, I've lived through through the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, where where we get, I think we get the illusion that we're, we're we like as a civilization, we're better with it now. You know, we offer more mental health options for people, and I've just had some experiences in assisted living facilities where there are no mental health resources available, and I was flipping out like I had I had a panic attack. Like I needed somebody to get a paper bag for me, and I knew that they did not even know what I was talking about to get a paper bag, let alone do we have paper bags anymore to breathe into for when you're having a panic attack. And there, But there were no actual professional resources there for me. And I said, I, can, I know I'm not the only person who's coming here who's needed this right now, being in a situation like this. And yet, 
you would ask every day to see somebody professional and they tell you, oh, they come on Thursday or they're coming next week. I never saw one person. But it's, we, I, so I think there's still stigma attached to mental health issues. And uh, it's hurting us, not helping us, you know. I saw this movie just real briefly. I got to tell you the, the, just briefly the little bit of the plot is that there's a 13-year-old boy who murders his four-year-old sister. And the movie opens with him making the 911 call. And the point of this movie so far, I haven't finished it, seems to be his mother and people who care about him, his family who's involved, the fact that this kid has been incarcerated since the time he's 13. And even though professionals, mental health professionals, have seen that there were warning signs in the beginning, they still could have afforded him mental health services while he's been incarcerated, and they did not, you see. So that's my point, I guess. It's a horrific story, really horrific. He murders his four-year-old sister and then lives through it. The whole family knows about it, and the rest of the film is about their efforts in trying to get him help. In the yeah, I think that's talking about. Thank yes. you so much. Yeah, Paul, I think sorry, that I a larger that's, that's okay. I think a, la- a larger conversation. I 100% agree that I mean we're talking about specific victims, survivors, but absolutely part of this and why I'm an advocate and I appreciate you um, you know supporting what I'm saying. There is a need for more understanding, more funding, more support, more conversation yep. about mental health across the board yes. because yes. there are people who suffer from all sorts of things. And, um, and mental health is absolutely a challenge still. But the silver lining and the good news is people are, like you and I, are talking about it more. And I think it normalizes it. The more that I have no shame. I talk about all the time that I've been – I went to therapy for decades, and it helped me. It changed me. It made me a better man, and I am a huge advocate for it. I also am an advocate that each person needs to lean into the things that help them. So if it's group, if it's anger management, if it's therapy, if it's yeah. you know, meditation, there's a whole slew. You can read books. Everyone is different. That's the other part of this, which I want everyone to take away from my conversation, from what I stand for, is – one size doesn't fit all, and so we also have to be understanding of one another's process and be have some compassion that not everything is going to not one thing will work for all people. Sometimes we need different things, and as long yes. as we're speaking our truth and I think allowing others to speak their truth and giving them a platform and a place to feel safe, then that's the best that we can do. And the more that we can advocate mental health and supporting one another and speaking truth, the better we will be as a society. Yeah, I'm really with you on this. Yep. It's a good point about everybody being different. I think the search, sometimes when people begin with uh, mental health, we have the the idea maybe perhaps that we're going to be going towards normal. And what seems to always be the discovery is that in the process, of that, what we find is that there isn't, you know, that's not what it's about at all. Maybe it's about, it's about just what you just said. It's about discovering how very different each of us is 
and being okay with that, you know, being the best that that is. But we're not going to be any degree of normal or alike. So I like, I just, yeah, I like what you're saying a lot. And uh, it's just amazing how much trauma, how many trauma survivors there are alive right now. So we're getting used to that word, the trauma, trauma survivor, but the help for it, the real professional help, the good kind anyway, still still seems to be eluding us. So that's why I wanted to chime in with you when I heard you talking about that, because it's really necessary from the cradle to the grave, apparently. Thank you so much. I appreciate you calling in and and supporting and sharing your thoughts. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Rebecca. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it when you do call in. Thank so you. Paul, this is cool. Uh, so, Paul, I, I um, you know we have about, gosh, nine minutes left. Doesn't time fly when you're having fun? <laughs> I know it's not call, to call this topic fun, but um, we do have some laughs, and it's not that we're being disrespectful, but I think sometimes humor is also very good medicine. Um, of course. So, so I want to give you, you know, the next eight minutes, seven or eight minutes, um, to talk about, you know, whatever you want to talk about, whether it's um, getpaulhoward.com relaunch coming soon that I see here on your website, or some of your work coming up, but I'd like to just give a, uh, give the time back to you so I can make sure that we've covered everything that you wish to cover tonight. Thank you so much. Again, I'm, I'm so pleased to be here. I appreciate the call in and um, being welcomed back. I think, you know, we've covered a lot, which is great. I hope people feel that way listening. I hope people um, feel free to reach out to me personally to getpaulhoward.com is my website and where people can find my email and other things. Um, tomorrowthemovie.com if they're interested specifically, and I hope that everyone listening will go and watch that right now because it's, I really feel like it's really important work, and it's not just because I'm involved in it, but I want us to also not just watch it but share it and comment and get it out there because these are the kinds of conversations in small ways or in larger ways that we need more of. So I'm always advocating for that. So if anyone listening you know, wants to be a part of that or, or advocate for that, please do. Um, I really want to share, too, because I'm very proud of it, and it is not, um, it is not on the subject of child abuse, but it, as I said at the beginning or near the beginning, um, I'm very proud of my first feature documentary. has um, been released a couple months ago and is available. It has distribution and is available worldwide. It's called A Pebble in the Pond, and it can be um, – you can find it at apebbleinthepondfilm.com. Um, also, you can search on Amazon Prime, for example, type in A Pebble in the Pond. You can find it iTunes, the various places um, that you watch or stream. It's a feel-good documentary feature. It's definitely the thing you watch when you need a little bit of hope of humanity and to feel – good and be reminded of all the good people out there like my host tonight you know you i appreciate very deeply what the two of you are doing and because you do this more than once a year like me and i really appreciate the work as you said the activism the listening the supporting the being here for others in whatever capacity that is it's so important so i also thank you for the work that you do 
And I just hope that people, if they take anything away from anything that I have created or anything that I have said, it is that the ripples we create matter. And you may not always see the repercussions of them. You may not always understand. You may not ever hear a thing. I am very fortunate in my life that I have been given very specific engagement, whether it's Devin, like I told you about, who reached out to me recently, or others through the process of these films. But you do impact lives by sharing your story, and it doesn't have to be something monumentous. It doesn't have to be doing a film. Um, if that's something you do, if you create you know, art or you sculpture or you paint or any of those things, awesome. Write a book about it. You know, do a podcast about it. Whatever you have in your wheelhouse, I encourage you to engage it. But if you don't or those things don't excite you, simply speaking your truth to one other person, to loved ones, sharing it on social media or other places can change lives. So I hope people keep in mind that it does not have to be some grand gesture. You don't have to run a nonprofit. You don't have to be the president. You don't have to be a celebrity to impact lives. And I, I hope people really take that and, and believe it and revel in it because too long I think we have played into these narratives that it only takes powerful, rich, famous people. But the truth is it doesn't. It takes each of us making choices in our life and helping or engaging or inspiring others or sometimes it's just leading by example and speaking your truth. So um, I'm profoundly grateful for this experience to be back um, talking with you all. I really hope that, you know, it, it, it leaves people with a sense of hope um, because I know there's a lot of doom and gloom in the world, and I, I just try as much as I can. I'm human, too. We all have our days. But I really try to remind people, like, this: there is a gift in life, and there is a gift in choice, and there is a gift in speaking your truth, and there is a gift in surviving and being able to share your journey, your experiences, your traumas with others. So I hope that people will continue to do those things, and be encouraged and feel safe. And if I can help or be a resource to people, I hope that they will reach out to me. Did I time it like perfectly? Is there like two minutes left? Oh my God. <laughs> you must be a professional. Yes. <laughs> totally on call. Oh my gosh. And by the way, before I forget, absolutely once a year, please come back onto the NASCA show. You are absolutely more than welcome. It's, you know, our honor and privilege to have you on, especially in April, because, as you know, April is Child Abuse uh, Awareness um, and Prevention Month, um, also Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. So April is a very important month in our world, um, although, as you know, it, it doesn't start and end on the 1st of April, and at the end of April, it's every single day um, in this country, um, every single day in this world. Um, that we should have our eyes and ears focused on this. But, yes, you absolutely timed it perfectly, and we will plan on seeing you next April. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much. I know Kim and I, we just love, love having you. So for those of you listening, um, I do want to remind you, this is scan number 3166, so you can find Paul Howard under this 
scan number on the NASA website. Um, hyperlinked in the description for this show is Paul Howard's um, Facebook um, handle, as well as a hyperlink to his film Tomorrow and Paul's story. Other ways to get a hold of Paul, uh, the getpaulhoward.com is his website. I, for one, am very intrigued to see, and I will be seeing a pebble in the pond, um, as well as some of your other work that I can see here on your website. So um, I'm excited to, I just, I just know you are going to be the gift that keeps on giving with your films, and I'm, I'm just so much looking forward to it. You are such an inspiration to me, and I, you've inspired me so much, Paul, and I, just, I learned so much from you, and it's just such a privilege um, to have you on the show, maybe co-hosting with Kim, and for those of us that have lived through these experiences, you know, to be able to have this conversation is just truly a gift, so I can't thank you enough. Really, truly, um, it's a privilege um, to be able to to do this work. So thank you, Paul. I wish you, you know, well, and we'll keep in touch over the next year. So thank you so much, so very much for coming thank, on. Thank you very much to I both of you. I, I sincerely oh. appreciate it. You're very welcome. Actually, you were able to come on. You're, you're um, welcome to come on any time. You can call in this number. You. you can be a part of the panel. So, um, That's true. you know, we That's just true. have people. So we'd love to have this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for all of your your wealth of information tonight, Paul. And, and I shared your your movie tomorrow on my Facebook page, and I will look forward to seeing your other one, The Pebble on the Pond. So thank you. I'm going to send you both friend requests since I feel like we've been friends for a year. So <laughs> I'll send you guys right. friend requests. <laughs> Thank you. I'll look for it. I don't know too many Paul Howards. Well, thank you. Thank you both. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As I always say, as I close up the show, that there are enough adult eyes and ears on this planet to keep every single one of our children safe. So if you see something, if you hear something, say something, do something, it is our more responsibility to take action. So thank you all, and good night. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.